Hi, welcome to Promo Insiders, a podcast from ASI's Counselor Magazine. In this weekly series, we tackle the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry, from hard-hitting news to fun trends. I'm Sarah Lavendusky with Advantages Magazine, and today I'm joined by Michael Elkins, an attorney with MLE Law in Fort Lauderdale, to discuss the nature of free speech rights in the workplace. The frequency of social media use combined with the emotionally charged times we're currently living in can lead to some pretty heated discourse. But if a private sector employee says or does something that their employer doesn't agree with, what kind of free speech rights do they actually have? That's our topic. Okay, thanks, Michael, for being with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, I had written a feature-length article on this topic um, that you contributed to. It's now on our news site. It'll run in the August edition of Advantages. And it came about after a situation in June in a, uh, in, well, actually, in our industry, it, it hit close to home, where a cyclist in Maryland was recorded attacking teens who are posting George Floyd support signs on a bike trail. And the video yeah. went viral. And after a few other people were actually falsely named by social media vigilantes as the culprit, he was identified as a Maryland-based vice president of a California promotional products company, and he was immediately fired. Now, while this is maybe a little different from what people think of as free speech, because it really was just bad, abhorrent behavior and not really expressing an opinion per se, the reality remains that we've, we've talked about this. What you say or do on social media can very quickly come back to bite you if you um, if your private sector employer doesn't agree with the sentiment, even if it's just an offhanded like of someone else's comment. It doesn't even have to be egregious behavior. Now, here we're focusing on private sector employees as opposed to the public sector, because as we've talked sure. about before, that is a separate issue. But the majority of people in the promo industry work for private companies. They're employees, they're independent contractors, all of that. So let's just start at the top. What exactly does the First Amendment protect in the private sector workplace? You know, uh, not very much. <laughs> um, the constitutional amendments are meant to curb government restrictions. Uh, so First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, those are, they were all set up to make sure that the government isn't interfering on certain inalienable rights. Uh, private sector employers are not the government. So generally speaking, private sector employees with some limited exceptions don't really have a lot of protection under the First Amendment. You know, the really the only exception and it's limited is if workers are talking about terms and conditions of employment which um, could be considered what they call concerted activity under a law called the national labor relations act which really relates to union activity but even that's still going to be limited the fact of the matter is if an employee expresses an opinion about a particular social issue and the employer doesn't like it if they're an employee at will so no contract uh, they could suffer consequences for that and we had also talked about, in addition to the concerted activity, um, there are protected classes in the workplace. Can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. I mean, Title VII and the employment discrimination laws protect certain classes of employees from discrimination. So race, gender, age, uh, now with the recent Supreme Court decision, sexual orientation, transgender, uh, familial status. I can't write oh, national origin. You'd think I know them all off the top of my head. Uh, those individuals get certain protections against employment discrimination, but that doesn't extend to First Amendment or any other constitutional rights. Those are creatures of a statute or a law created by Congress. The Constitution is not a law created by Congress. It's the founding document um, for our country. So there's a, a distinction there. Mm hmm 
Now we also have, as I mentioned, we also have uh, a lot of independent contractors in this industry. So what do they need to know when it comes to the First Amendment in the workplace? They, uh, they certainly don't have protection. They're not even employees. So um, those are just individuals who are contracted out by employers to perform very defined tasks. You know, a true independent contractor controls their own schedule, uh, controls, you know, when they may very well be delivering the work product. I mean, the, the employer certainly could have a say in that, but ultimately they're not going to have any protection. Now, we had asked that, you know, in our um, among our team members, we had said, well, before this article was uh, before I wrote it and before I would researched it, we had talked about, is there a line between private expression, you know, what you do on a Saturday at 2 p.m. and the employee as a representative of his or her company? I mean, someone might say, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep my opinions to myself in the workplace. But if I'm on Facebook on, you know, Saturday at 2 p.m., I should be able to say whatever I want. Um not really the case. And what about those disclaimers that people will include in their in their bio line sometimes? Yeah, I mean, technically, hyper technically speaking, there really isn't a line. If an employer wants to take action based on what some employee says or does on social media on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, they theoretically could. But I think as, as you and I kind of talked about, that's not necessarily uh, the best approach. I mean, it really depends on the employer. As I said in the article, I mean, I certainly don't advocate for private employers to sort of engage in these sort of draconian um, ways where they're just um, hovering over their employees based on everything the employee does. So I think there's a practical line, not a legal line. Uh, in terms of the disclaimers on social media posts, I mean, you see that often in the journalist context, right? That, or, you know, through ESPN and the sports context, context, you see it a lot where they say, look, the opinions expressed on my Twitter account don't necessarily reflect the opinions of my employer at large. Um, I don't know that those provide a lot of protection so much as they provide clarification to people. Perhaps that's a practical situation where employers are saying, look, we don't want to be draconian. We're not here to fire you for every opinion that you espouse on an issue, but we need you to be clear about what's us and what's you know you individually. So um, I don't think those disclaimers provide a whole heck of a lot of legal protection, but I think there is a practical line. So with that said, I mean, I, you know, if, if situations arise, um, how should a company monitor and kind of handle situations, especially over social media? And, you know, it sounds like a lot of companies have actually had to put into place social media policies for yeah. employees. Um, as part of their agreement, you know, working at this company when they actually get hired. What does that what does that kind of look like over the past few years? What have those social media policies looked like and how should companies handle kind of monitoring what employees do on social media? You know, it's, it's interesting. I just got off the phone with a client about an hour ago discussing that exact issue. In this situation, the client really wants sort of uniformity on their employees LinkedIn profiles. So it could look something like that. It could be something, you know, which I sort of view as really innocent, right? Um, or part of a branding initiative mm -hmm. where the employer is saying, look, we get a lot of business from LinkedIn or there's a lot of traffic. So we want everything to look the same. Other issues sort of practically that I've had come up, email signatures mm -hmm. tend to be a big one. You know, people like to put fun things at the bottom of their email signature. And my client's point was, can I stop them from doing that? And the answer is, yeah, pretty much. Um, you can, and they so they want their email signatures to be uniform. So social media policies can take a wide array of forms, right? We, we could probably talk for hours, but I think the general idea is for the employer to convey what they want the employee's presence to be online, 
when representing the employer, right? So LinkedIn, if they're going to put the employer's name on their Facebook profile or Twitter. Um, now, how should they monitor? Well, that, that's going to really depend, right? If it's a you know multinational global corporation, that's going to be a little bit hard. I, I don't know of any companies that have dedicated employees monitoring social media, which if you're a massive corporation, you would need. If you're a smaller company, right, small business locally, um, you probably – May, may most likely, I should say, are connected with your employees. So you're going to see their uh, information via Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. So I have not had a lot of clients that are engaging in active sort of 24-7 monitoring. It's more uh, when a situation arises, then they're going to have to deal with it. I had a, a client the other day where an employee got into a Facebook fight with somebody about Black Lives Matter and George mm -hmm. Floyd and the person that the employee was fighting with said, well, emailed the company and said, you know, your employee is espousing this viewpoint. If you don't respond to me, I'm going to assume that's the employer's position. <laughs> so that was yeah, a fun I one. Yeah, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's what we're seeing today. Wow. And so clients, have, employers have to deal with that. So they had to deal with, we had to deal with one, the, the individual emailing us, like kind of a cold email. And then two, we had to deal with the employee that particular client said, look, we're just not going to get in the middle of it. We're fine. If the employee wants to, um, you know, talk about issues on social media, that's great. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not going to pander to this person that was sort of threatening us. And ultimately the threat went away, but look, that, this type of stuff is happening more and more. And we're seeing it in much more frequently now with um, George Floyd situation, obviously. And then I think COVID plays a role in it in so far as people are still home. Uh, and so I think they're on, this is my guess. So it's anecdotal. I don't have empirical evidence of this, but I think they're on social media a lot more. And these issues are really um, controversial and people are passionate about their positions. And so, and they're looking to hold companies accountable in some way, but uh, I'm not so sure that the best way to go about that is emailing a company and saying, well, your employee said X, so you must think it too. But, you know, it's a brave new world. Right, right. It, yeah, I mean, that that's actually, uh, you know, it jives well with my next question here, which is what are the obligations of a company to take action? I mean, with I know with the angry cyclists, even Amy Cooper, you know, in Central Park, I mean, the, yeah. the companies were obligated to, to let them go. Um, but how has this kind of shifted over recent years, particularly with the advent of social media, people piling on? People, you know, tagging the company and commenting, you know, thousands of comments saying this person should be let go. You know, with the with the accessibility of upper management, you can just quickly email their HR department or whatever. You know, yeah. what is like a company's kind of that that tightrope they have to walk? What is their obligation to act? Well, they don't have a legal obligation if it's a situation where the employees espoused a, a innocent viewpoint, whether they are for or against, let's say, one of the particular social issues that are out there, right? Or if they're giving their opinion on COVID, let's say, or restriction, it's just one of those, you know, I don't, I don't agree with X or Y or Z or whatever, or I agree with this thing, then there's no real legal obligation. Um, you get into a little bit of a gray area or a problem if you've got an employee like our cyclist, for example, um, that individual very clearly violent behavior. And so in that sense, I'd say the employer, while not obligated, should take action because as we talked about for the article, right? If, if that employee does something violent at work, right? 
um, <laughs> exhibit A is going to be the video and they're going to say, look, employer, you knew. So you've got negligent retention issues, right? Or negligent supervision issues if you if you don't do anything about it, probably more negligent retention. So you could have some exposure there. So it's important that employers do evaluate. I think they have to evaluate each situation individually based on the facts and circumstances of that situation. This is by no means a one size fits all uh, analysis. In fact, it's very much um, fact specific and individualized. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Michael, for your time today. And please check out the full article at asicentral.com slash news and in the August issue of Advantages. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me.